What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 65, brought to you by the Antisocial Network. Today, we got a pretty awesome guest, pretty cool human being, Cindy Gersh. How are you doing, Cindy? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, too. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I took my hoodie off uh, so everybody could see the glare, and it's cold. Cold, it's cold. yeah. It's uh, definitely not spring-like. No, no, no. Mother Nature decides to say, fuck you. Right, so. exactly, exactly. I'm in Atlanta, so it's a little bit warmer, but yeah, not much for May. It's crazy. Yeah, right. There's there's a weird flux that's happening in the earth right now where it's just not doing what it's supposed to do in the time frame, which is supposed to do it. For sure. All right. like, Buffalo was crazy this winter. That's where I'm from. It was like horrible. Yeah, I heard Buffalo got slammed with, you know, with a lot of snow. They blizzard. It shut everything down. So, I mean, even for Buffalo, that was insane. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Cindy, would you like to give us a formal introduction of yourself? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm Cindy Gersh, and I am a Buffalonian, but I live in Atlanta now. And I am a marketing professional. I've been in marketing my entire career. Well, I started out as a reporter for a CBS affiliate and then switched over to marketing. And now I own my own award-winning um, boutique marketing agency. I love it. That's awesome. That is pretty awesome. That That's cool. Um, so quick question, being from Buffalo, mm -hmm. do you like football? I, you are talking to a football freakazoid right here. So yes, I'm a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. I've lived through wide right, 13 seconds, music city miracle, all the good things. Yeah. I fly up and go last year. I flew up and went to seven games this year. I only could go to two, but they were, I was at the last game where we lost to Cincinnati. So that game was shitty as hell. But then I was at the Miami game, which was way too freaking close too. But it was funny because it was the snow one where everybody was throwing the snowballs. And I didn't know that they stopped the game, right? I mean, apparently they, they actually they had to take a pause in the game because everybody was throwing snowballs. Um, and they were all coming from my section. It was so freaking awesome. I loved it. So that, my yeah, claim to fame actually real quick is, uh, well, not really my claim to fame, but my, I was like, okay, I... Cause I like to sit like on the field, like you can't yeah. as close as you can possibly be. So I was like, okay, my sign is going to make it this time. So I always make signs and it did. So it was on CBS. It was on ABC nightly news. It was on ESPN. I was like, this is cool as shit. Good morning football. There was me holding my sign. Yeah. Sick, nasty. That's pretty cool. It was. I, you know, uh, Buffalo, they, they actually have been doing quite well the past few years. I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't followed football very much, but what I follow, I, I catch on to it. Buffalo Bills are one of the teams that I. Yeah, I mean, last year on. we should have done way better. Last year, everybody thought we were going to the Super Bowl. We were ranked number one forever, and then I don't know. Right after we came back from like our bye week, shit just went downhill. I mean, it was Josh Allen had more interceptions than I think any other quarterback in the NFL. So I was like, what the fuck is it? Like, what's happening here? Yeah. So I don't know. We it was a very hard year for Buffalo, not to like, but you know, a lot of shit happened in Buffalo. So like, I don't know. The owner of our um, the Bills, his wife, had like a major health issue and actually is still not normal. Then we had the Buffalo shooting, which the mass shooting in Buffalo. Um, the the there was a huge fire where all these people died. Then you know, Demar Hamlin. So they're saying, okay, it was just too much for Buffalo Bills to handle. That's our excuse for this year. Yeah, we had too much shit going on. But I mean, even even you know the last the last two Super Bowls, like teams that you wouldn't expect. If you watched ten years ago, you just look and you'd be like, "Oh, damn!" Right? Bengals are in the Super Bowl. 
Right. No kidding. That's crazy, right? Like, that's insane. I mean, I'm glad that they're having some different teams, but I'm like so over Kansas City. Like, it's time. Let's. Yeah. yeah. So I, we're, I, we're, we're at a fresh season every year. I watch the draft. We, we drafted some good players and we'll see what happens this year. But yeah, I've lived through. I didn't think it could get worse than wide right with Scotty Norwood yeah. until we had that fucking 13 seconds with Kansas City. Like, how the fuck? How does that happen? Yep. Yeah, but it did, of course, to Buffalo. Do you like hockey? I like hockey. Like I'll watch the Sabers, but I'm it, it, like I'm a freak when it comes to Buffalo. Like, I don't leave my house on Sundays at all because <laughs> I'm during the fall because I'm like all Good Morning Football in the morning all the way to like you know Sunday Night Football. So I'm it's bad. You are how I am with professional wrestling. Oh really? I love, I really? love wrestling. Yes. Really? Yeah. Like WWE stuff? Is that still around? Yep. Really? Yeah. 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 I, I watch it. They just did WrestleMania. I literally watched Wrestle, uh, prior WrestleManias prior to this one. Watched it. It started at like, I don't know. It was pretty much eight hours of professional wrestling su- Saturday and Sunday. Oh, my God. And and I just sat there and just watched, watched it. Watched it. And I so eat it up. Do they have like I remember like back it was like Hulk Hogan? Do they yeah. still have like um Randy Macho Man Savage? Do they still have like big like people that you follow like that? Superstars? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So Macho Man was like one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um I grew up loving Hulk Hogan, but I mean they all the legends have transitioned out now and they made room for the you know bigger guys like you know John Cena makes an appearance every once mm-hmm. in a while, the the rock every five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Um but you have guys like Roman Reigns, who, uh, who's a, a pretty much in, in the dynasty of of the Rock. Okay. Oh wow. They fall. Okay. They fall under the same family. Um, and then you've got guys that uh, are legacy, you know, third generation wrestlers like Randy Orton and Cody Rhodes, and they fall under, you know, every like you know their family, so they make a name for themselves and blaze their own trail. It's pretty awesome. It's it's super cool. And then you got people that transition from, you know, other other sports, other forms of media into professional wrestling, like Logan really? Paul. Logan Paul, famous podcaster, shit talker. Everybody yeah. hates him. He he wrestles. Um, and yeah, that's yeah, weird. But he's actually weird. really good. It's ve- he's very good. Uh, Bad Bunny, you know, uh, yeah. music recording artist. Yep. He wrestles. He wrestles. Yeah. Oh He's actually wrestling Saturday uh, in Puerto Rico. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got other females. Like, there's been people like Maria Maria Menounos. Uh, she she did she did a few matches. Oh yeah. Johnny, Johnny Knoxville wrestled. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's quite entertaining. It, do it's, you... It's pretty cool. um, Sorry, do you think that it's um, it's fake? Parts of it are fake, or do you really think that it's like real? No, I so so it's scripted. Uh, they teach you like I know I I don't know everything about professional wrestling and like WWE, mm-hmm. but there are schools you can go to and learn how to land. But when mm. people when when people take chair shots, they're really taking chair shots, right? If they're thrown through a table, they get really get thrown through a table. They really get cut open when you see the blood. Uh, some sometimes it's by a blade, other times it's by an actual weapon so it's very it's very brutal at times and yeah. uh it's crazy it's it's pretty insane yeah because you know people are starting to say that the nfl now yeah. is fake scripted i don't believe it I, I refuse to believe it but yeah i mean there's good 
like when you look when they really lay it all out for you you're like oh shit that does like kind of makes a little bit of sense but yeah there's some really good evidence to point that it is scripted but i don't know i don't know i just find it i find it too weird sometimes like you know when the saints won the super bowl uh hurricane katrina had happened just before that you know um or or, you know, uh, some of the other weird instances where teams like uh, the Rams, the Rams yeah. won the Super Bowl and they just moved into that stadium. How? Yeah. A lot of people say it's based on, you know, betting. Like, you know, because if you look particularly like with the Dallas game this past year, remember when mm -hmm. the guy lost, missed every single extra yeah. point that there was or whatever it was. They looked, I didn't pay that close attention to it, but it was something like the he they wouldn't have beat the spread or whatever it was had he made even one of those so in the way that they did it where they actually started going for two point conversions like it was a really weird like numbered final score and people were saying okay and they had it all dissected and out and everything and i was like it kind of makes sense like the dude missed every freaking after point after after um yeah, yeah. the point after it, like it was it it's insane yeah so i mean i i think that nfl could could have the potential, but I think there's too much up in the air to actually say that is. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I will talk football until the day is long. You have a <laughs> podcast on football, you call me right back. because I, I don't. <laughs> I don't have a podcast on football, but I have friends that do. Anyways, we'll move on. So uh, we're not here to talk sports or wrestling. We're here to hear Cindy's story. Cindy, what was it like in your, your hard times in life? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, just to kind of give a brief overview, I, um, it'll be five years this October that I was diagnosed completely suddenly with a very rare arterial disease. And I had been sick like for years and, you know, wasn't getting, you know, to the point where doctors were like, it's in your head until I went to the emergency room thinking I was having a stroke. And the doctor said, you know, the good news is, is that you didn't have a stroke. The bad news is, is that you have this super, we think you have this super rare disease. We've never really seen it here before. We're going to send your scans off to a hospital that deals with it. And I'm lucky because I'm actually in Atlanta and Emory is here and it's one of 15 hospitals in the world that deals with my disease. So I knew that the best were going to be like looking at my scans and saying like, and so I went there and that was like in October and they said, yeah, you have fibromuscular dysplasia, this super rare arterial disease. And basically my life turned like fucking upside down right after that. Seriously. I, um, I mean, it, it, like everything that could happen, you know, happened to me within a very short period of time. My ex who, it, you know, is active duty and he was actually deployed overseas when it happened or for right after I got diagnosed, he left for a year deployment, leaving me with our nine-year-old and our 12-year-old at the time children, I just diagnosed this extremely scary disease that is potentially fatal that has, you know, leading strokes, aneurysms, dissections, heart attack. Like they're throwing all of this stuff in my face. And I'm like, I have two kids. Like I ran a mar half marathon last week. I mean, I'm super active. I work out, run 70 to 80 miles a week. I don't eat meat. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Like what the, like how, how did this happen to me? And so, and I had, really no one because my ex was overseas. Right. So my way of coping with it after, and then eventually, so I got the diagnosis was told immediately I could no longer run, which I don't know if you, I was a marathoner. I'd run 13 full marathons, 
an endless amount of half marathons and other races. I qualified and ran Boston. So really like that was a big part of my life, my identity. So that was taken away, ripped out of my heart, no more running. Right. And then I eventually like 90% of my friends walked out on me, which is very common when you have chronic sort of diseases. It's very, it's, it's just, it happens. Um, my therapist told me that like she was statistics on it. Um, so that happened. And then when Kevin was gone, when he actually deployed, like two months later, they found two brain aneurysms, which is a result of my disease. I have two brain aneurysms and I lost my job, my corporate job that I'd had for seven years, a job that I absolutely loved, very lucrative, um, that I was great at not to like toot my own horn, but like all my reviews, I got fives plus my bonuses were always more than they were supposed to be. And that shit came out of nowhere, like slapped me in the face, was not expecting that. So it was like, everything happened to me really sort of all at once. And I'm trying to like navigate this new disease, deal with, you know, handle my two children, nine and 12 while their dad's deployed. It, it was so much for me that I, um, I started drinking because like, what else, what else do you, like, what else are you going to do? I, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do because it masked everything, right? That's what alcohol yeah. does. So it completely yeah. masked every emotion, every feeling that I was having. And it made me feel better. Yeah. Those that I know that I was actually getting sicker because of the alcohol, but yeah, people don't understand that when, when you have a disease or, or an illness or, or a sickness, and you do start to drink on top of that, it amplifies all of those symptoms that you have and it actually makes you worse. Yeah. I mean, I say all the time that like, so I got down to the skinniest I'd ever been in my entire life. I was down to like 90, 95 pounds and I wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. All I was doing, I say, you know, Kimmy was my best, Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc. I was like, me and Kimmy, we're best friends. And I, so I say all the time, like, you can have a disease like mine and still be healthy under things you can control. I was making myself sicker, right? Because I was doing all the things that you're not supposed to do. Wasn't exercising, was drinking nonstop, wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. And stress is like such a, one of the worst things for my disease that I was making myself much more sick. Like, like that I didn't even, yeah. until I hit rock bottom, I didn't even realize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have TBI from, you know, my career in the army and, and, mm -hmm. you know, drinking definitely fucked my shit up on top yeah. of that. I was taking my meds that I was supposed to be taking. So it made that worse. It For made sure. everything worse. And the, the pills didn't work. The alcohol worked. You know, you said, you said Kimmy was your best friend, dude. I just bunched. I said, alcohol is my fucking best. Any friend. alcohol, any, alcohol. anything, anything. Soju. You want to give me soju? Let's do it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> But like, and that, that's bad. That's bad. Korea. But, that's like, yeah, that's real bad shit. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even know. It, it tastes like water. That's what um, I've heard. I've never had it, but that's what I've heard. Put it in Kool-Aid or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like water. You, you stand up, boom, you're, you're going back down. Uh, but anyway, so, so while you were in that and, and, and right before you started drinking, uh, what did all of these factors, what did it do to your mental health? It, I mean, it, um, so I think it's one thing if you're diagnosed with a very scary, potentially fatal, rare disease that nobody, you know, I go to, I'll, I'll go to hospitals, like if I'm out of town or whatever, and I have to end up in the emergency room, which isn't unfortunately unlike me, because, you know, if I start having any symptoms of what I think is a stroke, I have to go to the emergency room right away. 
fortunately, thank God, you know, it's migraines most of the time, but you don't know that, right? Especially right at the beginning. So when you're told that you have this, this disease that no doctor, doctors very rarely know about, like I said, I'd go to ERs if I'd be traveling and I think that they have like a little card that, because they're like, what, you have fibromyalgia? And I'm like, no, fibromyalgia doesn't kill you. Like I have two brain aneurysms because of my disease. And so it really, that's bad enough, right? Being told that you have this horrible, rare, potentially fatal, chronically in pain, like I'm in pain right now. I have horrible, I'm in pain every day in my life because of this disease. So you have all of that. And then you have no support, right? Because my family's in New York. My husband at the time was deployed. 90% of my friends left. So I'm left on my own. And then you lose your job. Like it's all this shit was just like, and it was like, how the how much more can I take? I don't think I can take anything else because everything that could happen happened to me within a very short period of time. And I was faced to dealt with it like pretty much on my own. And that's really fucking hard, really hard. So it really, it, if, I mean, it, I, there's no way that I can describe, I, I don't like, I, I say that like my dad, he died five years and five days to the day that I was diagnosed, which is kind of weird. And he died very suddenly and he was my best friend. And that was horrible. Like getting that call, you know, and you think like nothing, it, you know, you don't think then that you can take anything more. Well, then you realize how strong you are when you go through a death like that. But this, I was like, I really can't take anything else. Like I, I'm done. I'm tapped out. Forget it. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. And it's like every bit of purpose that you felt that you had was ripped from you. Entire, my entire identity was gone. I had, I was like, who am I now? I'm not a marathoner. That's, I mean, you have to understand I was running 70 to 80 miles a week just as therapy. Uh, I'd have a good day. I'd run. I'd have a bad day. I'd run. I'd run just because I wanted to run. Didn't matter the weather. Um, that was gone. Right. I say I threw my husband, my ex-husband before he deployed a huge going away party. We had like 350 people there fully catered. I had all the, it was like a wedding DJ, all the things. And all those people at that party were like, if you need anything when Kevin's gone, we're here for you. Whatever you need, where the fuck, where are those 350 people? Yeah. So I didn't have them. I had no one. I didn't have a job to keep my brain going, meant, you know, something else to focus on. So it was like, I didn't, I had nothing, everything that possibly, I, I, my whole identity was gone. I had nothing left. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I felt when I was, when I was getting out of the army, you know, I, Every every bit of my identity that I, I knew was was being ripped from me, and then I turned. I've had many relapses in my life, okay, yeah. um, and and that was I was getting to that point where I had no identity, and you know, I, I just didn't know the fuck to do with myself. Everybody that said that they were going to be there disappeared, and it's just so it, like at the time I was like, it's all bullshit. People fucking suck. Yep, you're not even kidding. That was to this day. Um, and I was just talking to a woman about this before it was like, to this day, that was, is still one of the hardest things for me to understand. Um, and like I said, my therapist was giving me statistics. I know it happens. You just said it happens to you. It happens all the fucking time, but I want to know why, like she, cause the last person, you know, I was just doing an interview and she said, if you could say anything to these people, what would you say to them? And I said, I'd ask them why, like, why the fuck did you ghost me? These are people who we went on vacations with, who I was, I was seeing every day and to have them just be gone. Like, I just want to know why, like, what, what was the, is it because I, what was the reason? Yeah. 
No. Most likely we'll never get the answer. No. Mm -mm, we yeah, I, I had a life event happen in December, and I've talked about it before, uh, but I had a life event happen in December, and it was earth-shattering to the point where, like, I stayed on my phone 24-7 so I could have support, right? Oh, my God. And I, I, was, I still stay sober, and thank, thank God for that. But, like, you know, I, I sat there, and I was like, how many people like in my recovery circle that I've built will actually, you know, practice their recovery skills of helping me the fuck out. Cause I've been there for everybody. Of course. Yeah. And, and, and it's small. And then that's when I realized like, I don't need a massive circle. I just need a handful of people that I know will pick up the phone whenever I fucking call, you know, or whenever I say, Hey, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So you actually, I have a, I actually like it's a trademark phrase of mine because everybody is like, this is like such a great phrase. I'm going to steal it. And I'm like, no, you can't. Cause I came up with it. So let me, let me use it. Trademarked. Um, yeah. And because I was the same way. So I had all these friends and I, there was literally one girlfriend of mine who's like my sister. We're so, you know, obviously super close. She was the one who was with me up at three o'clock in the morning, like, putting me to bed, making sure that my kids got to school, making sure that like I had to have major surgery. She was the one who was there, took me to the hospital, like did all the things for me. So now I always say, and I tell my kids this, you would rather have one dime than 10 pennies, right? So would you rather carry around one dime or 10 pennies? For me, having one beautiful, shiny dime is so much better than those 10 pennies. So I always say, as long as I have one dime, I'm good. Yeah. Absolutely. So you start drinking, right? Yeah. And and, and you, you get into it and you, you start diving deep in, into drinking. Absolutely. Uh, how fast do you do you think that it took you to feel like you were actually like you needed it to function? Um, pretty quickly, because I it was the only thing that made me feel like I could cope. And I became, I, I don't, you know, I be, I was very much functional. Like my kids never knew I was up with them every morning. I was at football games. I was doing all the things that a mom is supposed to do, making their lunch, you know, everything. But it became where I was waking up with a mimosa in my hand and going to bed with a martini. And it was like all day. I wasn't working. I had nothing else to do. Nobody was around me. My kids were in school. So of course, well, I'm going to sit and watch trash TV and drink Kim Crawford. And that is what I did for... Uh, uh, quite a few months. And like I said, I, it got to the point where there were a couple days where I knew it was so bad because I would put my kids to bed, right? Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And I would wake, they would wake up and I still wouldn't have gone to sleep from the night before. Like yeah. just like binging by myself all night, drinking wine, whatever. It was mainly wine that I drank. Um, and it, that's when I was like, shit, this, I think this might be getting a little bit out of control, but I still didn't stop. Like I still was like, fuck it. I'm I, whatever. Um, and to this day, my kids still have no idea that any of that, I, they have no clue. They, I mean, I'm, listen, I have things where my, my, my son has pictures of me where, or, you know, things at school, what's your mom's favorite drink? And he would write down Kimmy. So like my kids clearly <laughs> knew that I like drank wine a lot, you know, they'd be like, mom, you need a glass of wine. Like, so they knew, but I, they never knew that it got to the extent that it got to where I really, really, and I say this all the time, I hit rock bottom. And at the time, I thought the wine was actually helping me. But in all reality, it was making things so much shittier. It was making things so much worse. And so it was a good probably five to six months. Half, and that's, thank God it was only that long where my life was completely shitty and spinning out of control. And 100% I was drinking all the what time. Did, 
What did it do to your to your health? Like how how did it decline your health even further? Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, I I got super skinny. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. And so and with my disease, you know, and because I like couldn't work out, I wasn't doing anything but sitting around drinking. So mentally, it really kind of fucked with me because, you know, there's days where you're, I mean, honestly, alcohol is a depressant. So there's days where I was feeling super great, but then there were other times where I would be like bawling in a corner, you know, because I, for no real reason. And so it definitely made, so it didn't, it, here's the crazy thing about it. It didn't amplify my disease from a pain scale, but every other way, like stress-wise, all that shit, my, everything was out of control, my numbers, everything. And I think that's what led me to end up in the hospital almost dying, then that's where I turned things around. I have to say part of that was because of alcohol, because if not all of it, because I don't think I knew that I was as sick as I was. I mean, like I had sepsis and I don't even think I knew I was as sick as I was because the alcohol was masking all of that, if that makes sense. And so I really think that that is a big part of the reason why I ended up in the hospital almost dying, which is ultimately what made me stop. Well, that was a nice, perfect segue because I was about to ask, at what point did you realize that you that you needed to stop? Yes. Yeah, so that after that night where it was like an all night binger by myself and, and then like, you know, about three weeks after that, maybe a month after that, my husband came home. Um, but actually on his welcome home ceremony, I was in Buffalo in the hospital with FMD. So I couldn't even be at his welcome home ceremony after being gone. He was gone for a year because I was sick. I get home, we're there for about a week, and then I end up in the hospital, literally on my deathbed with sepsis. So I had 105 degree fever, I was hallucinating, the shakes, all the things, so sick. And that is what was very, scared me, quite frankly. And there were days where I had hit rock bottom, where I was drinking, where I was like in my car, garage door down, kids out, ready to hit start on that car button, just to end things. That I really, there were numerous times where I was that close. And I think the difference between where it really sort of turned me around was that when you're in that setting where you're going to end it yourself, you sort of have control over that, right? You're not, you're not in pain. You're not, it's so it's easy. It's much easier sort of, I think, than when it really fucking hits you in the face and you have doctors over you and you're on, you have tubes coming out of everywhere and they can't get your fever under control and you're scared. You're really, really fucking scared. And you realize, like, I don't want things. I, I'm, I'm like, forget it. I was just kidding. Like, I don't want to die. I want to be here for my kids. And it was that moment. And then I ended up back in the hospital. I was in there for a week, was home for a couple. It, so it had never cleared. So I was const- I was back into the hospital again. And it was, I really think it was my body saying, enough. Like, stop. And I haven't drank since. Yeah. Yeah, that, that fear of death can scare the dog shit out of you. Oh, yeah. And it, like I said, it's very different when you are contemplating and doing it, like yeah. where you have the control versus when you have no control, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and it, and it, it really was very, very scary. It was a very, very scary, like, and I was by myself. I mean, I showed up. He was there like one hour when I was in the hospital. Like, I think we figured out he was in the, there are four hours out of the five days that I was in the hospital the first time and not at all the second time because COVID had started. And so I dealt with that pretty much completely. I mean, imagine being in a hospital, hundred like so sick and having no one to hold your hand. Like it's very, very scary. 
Yeah, I, I hear that story from my dad. My dad had a heart attack. He was a truck driver. He had a heart yeah. attack on the road down in, in Texas, and he had nobody. Oh, my you know, God. I was, in, I was in Alaska. His family is up here in West Virginia. He had nobody. And then, like, he calls me one day, and he's like, hey, I just had a heart attack and just got out of the hospital. I'm like, the fuck? Right? Yeah. Like, he didn't want and, you to worry about it. Yeah, and then, and he, you know, he tells me now, like, uh, how, how bad it sucked being by himself. So I can only imagine, you know, what it's like, you know, having to go through that alone. Very scary. Extremely scary, especially when it's been like two or three days and you're not getting any better. So you really, so you feel like shit. And then mentally it starts fucking with you too. Cause you're like, I'm really not gonna, this is scary. Like I may not ever get out of the hospital. I may never say goodbye to my kids. I may. And that's where I, you start realizing and appreciating life. I'll tell you what, that's really when I was like, okay, please God, like, let me get through this and I will be promise. I'll be a better person. Like that's never, I'm never going to take a man. I'm never going to take for granted one day of my life. And I, and I haven't because it, yeah. Too scary. So, um, you, you, you make that decision that you don't want to drink anymore. What, how, how was it the first, you know, few days, weeks, months after you quit drinking? How was that for you? I think the hardest part about it was that my ex, didn't stop at all period so we would go on like we would go to be on vacation we went on vacation like with friends and everybody's drinking and i would have like listen i never felt like i like if i really like i would relapse if i had one drink or something. i never had that sort of feeling so i would be on vacation i'd have like a pina colada or like a glass of wine at dinner but i wasn't shit-faced like everybody else around me was completely shifting. You're on vacation, you're at the beach and you know, everybody's having fun. Or even like I took my kids to like an all-inclusive um, on the beach. And even that's even worse because they're coming up to you. So that, I think the biggest, the hardest part about it was that my, especially my, my ex went on with his life as if nothing had happened. Right. Like, in fact, that's a big reason why we're, we got are getting divorced because he even says, I have not changed and you have changed dramatically. Well, I had no fucking choice. You don't, you think I wanted to fucking change? I'd give anything to go back to how Cindy was five years ago, running marathons, being able to drink socially, fucking having a great job where you make money, not being worried about fucking having a stroke, like having friends. You don't think I'd give everything that I have to go back there? Unfortunately, I didn't have a choice. He had a choice where he could have changed and he didn't. He chose not to. And so I had to live through very drunk people at my house doing fireball shots and realizing, I will tell you, one thing that you realize when you're the sober one and everybody's drunk is they really are fucking stupid and they piss you off. Like, I'm like, I couldn't, I was like, you guys are making no sense. Like, and I didn't want my kids to be around that. So I really sheltered them, which is something I wasn't doing before. I, you know, I just was like, it was just part of our lives. Not that we were drunk, but we would have wine. I'd have a glass of wine every night after work. Um, and so I really became very protective, like of my kids. I just didn't want them around that, like drunkenness. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like they no. needed, I never saw that growing up. My dad drank every day growing up. He had a beer every day after work, but he wasn't like a drunk. I never saw that growing up. And I did not want my kids to be exposed to that. So I think that was really the hardest part was like still trying to have some like social life normalcy with your husband in this group of friends that you still had football, for example. I mean, Jesus, every Sunday you'd be drinking beer and eating wings or whatever, especially in Buffalo going to tailgating and not, you know, you're freezing, you warm up because you're doing jello shots. 
like being in these situations where you're so used to drinking and alcohol is such a big part of it, right? It's part of the fun. It's part of the reason. And to have that where everybody else is still doing it, but you're not, you can't. And not only that, I really didn't want to. It got to the point where like, especially when you start seeing people acting a damn fool, which they do, um, and waking up in the morning and feeling like shit, you're like, "Mm, not me. Yeah. So that was really the hardest part though. I'll be honest. That was, that's a big part of the reason I'm getting a divorce right there. It's a huge part. Yeah. I, I, uh, I can relate to that. Um, you know, I, I sitting here three years sober and, uh, I got to point where congratulations. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I got to a point where like, I was like, okay, I can be around people that drink. Right. I mean, I, I can't, I, I moved back to West Virginia. My dad's an active drinker. So like, you know, he's like, oh, let's go eat. And I'm like, all right, well, it's two in the afternoon. He's like, fuck it. I'm like, all right, man. So we'll go and like sit at a bar and eat. And I'm watching football and he's getting shit faced. Yeah. And I learned really quickly after being three years sober that like that it, it's not about being in, in, in the, the, in, in the, the place where it's happening or being around the people that it's happening. It's the mindset for me. For like, sure. If I'm at a bar and I'm watching football or, or if I'm at a bar and I'm socializing with my dad and he's getting shit faced, my thought isn't, Hey, I, there's the liquor right over there. Like mm-hmm. my thought process is I'm spending time with my dad. I'm, I'm right. Right. For sure. And, and, and I can, I can definitely respect the, you know, um, sheltering your kids from that, you know, because you weren't raised that way and you don't want to raise them that way, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Because when you do, they're more apt to become those people as well, right? Yeah. And so that's been a big issue with my husband in, well, at, you know, whatever, because I just, I don't want my kids to be like, you know, it's fine if you have a beer. Like I said, my dad had a beer every night at dinner. And so, yeah, I mean, there were a few times maybe I saw him drunk, like at a baseball game or whatever, but it wasn't like where it was an everyday occurrence where I remembered it. Yeah. Um, and my, and you know, I look at my ex as, and this isn't anything against him, being in that military lifestyle, as you know. So he went to West Point, fulfilled his commitment, got out. That's when we met, was in the corporate world, could not handle the corporate life. So went back into the Army full-time National Guard um, and had to take, he was a captain. He had to resign his commission. So he was just, he's a pilot, so a CW. So he took a big, but I think him getting back into that military lifestyle with all young kids, like younger kids than him. And you, listen, I'm not saying anything against them. I've worked within the military world for my entire career. I'm a military spouse. I'm not saying anything about it. Alcohol, particularly when you're coming back from a deployment or whatever, is a huge part of the military. I mean, it just is. And so I think that that just made things a little bit even worse. Like, I feel like he felt like he had to keep up with the younger kids or whatever. It's like he reverted back to how he was when we you know, even like 15 years ago. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm a huge believer in, in that the military breeds alcoholism, breeds addiction. And then when you do get addicted, you get in trouble. For sure. Um, and but they like, don't do much to help you, if anything. No, no. But then you go to like, you know, active duty, you go to, you go, you go to a platoon function and you're drinking, you go to a company function, you're drinking, you go to a ball, battalion ball, brigade yeah. ball, you're drinking, yep. you know, uh, someone dies, you're drinking, yep. you know, a birthday, you're drinking, yep. like literally there's reasons to drink. And 
and and I see so many veterans getting out and they just they fall right into that trap into the trap that that's set for them like hey what I know is drinking or drugs fuck it I'm gonna continue doing what I do and, and so yeah it's 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 a shitty dynamic to be a part of especially for a spouse oh yeah I mean I it, and you know it's um I think it's hard enough being a military spouse as it is because you are facing things like TDY. That's yeah. Kevin's TDY right now. Um, so people always think of like these deployments, long deployments, but TDYs are just, I mean, four month TDY, that's pretty damn long. Yeah. yeah, they're not in Afghanistan or Iraq or Kosovo, but shit still, I mean, we just saw another Blackhawk went in Alaska yeah. just last week. And that's my husband was a black, is he's a pilot, so he flies Blackhawks. That's his. And, you know, there was another one right before that. I think it was at Campbell where 10 of them, 10 soldiers. So even though they're on the home front, that doesn't mean that you're, it's any less dangerous. And I don't think people realize that. I really don't. So we're living through things like TDYs on top of the deployments. TDYs, as you said, friends being either killed or taking their own lives because of the, the war and things that they've seen. And it's just a totally different dynamic. And we're not, because we're active duty National Guard, we're not on a military installation. So we don't have the support. Like my kids, there's no military brats at their school. They don't even know what the fuck it means to be a military brat. You know, there's no, um, you know, well, you know, big like events because everybody's deployed. So let's all get together and have, you know, potpourri dinner or we'll celebrate that. There's none of that shit when you're in a, when you're in a National Guard community because you're in with civilians, it's all civilians. And so that it's very, um, people don't realize how, especially I think for active, we are very different active duty military spouses whose husbands are National Guard because we have zero support. Like we had no support during the deployment. That's and if you're at like a Fort Drum, Fort Bragg, there's a shit ton of support. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, you're, you're in the kids. Correct. Yeah, oh yeah. There's stuff to do when, when the spouses are gone on deployment, you know? There's stuff, a ton of stuff to do, and it's it's sad that you guys don't have that same support. Okay, moving on. What are you doing to maintain what you have right now? Yeah, so, I mean, I took about a year, probably that first year of my life after, really it was that first year of my life, because um, I was diagnosed in October, and I um, started my business in November the following year. So it's almost like I took a year of my life to kind of mourn the old Cindy, realize that there's I'm I'm never going to be that person again, um, figure out what the fuck I was going to do with my life. And I will be honest, the way that my corporate last corporate job, the way that I was let go so quickly, unexpectedly, you know, I'd been home two days from short term disability when I was part of a RIF reduction in force. And that was, and I understand this shit happens in corporate America all the time. It left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I didn't want to go back to corporate America. And so it took me a while to figure out. And that's when I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to try to go out on my own. Um, because then I'm my own boss. I have, I make my own rules. I can work as much as I want. And so that's really been super helpful is me being this entrepreneur that's had a pretty successful so far business. Although it's, you know, there's peaks and valleys, which is there, and I'm nowhere near making what I was even close to what I'm making when I was in the corporate world, which is very hard to sort of adjust to, too. I'll tell you that much. Like you really, I, um, uh, yeah, you really realize like how much you have to fucking sacrifice when you go from making as much as you were to me. But 
again, you know, your, your priorities sort of shift there too. So I think being, having a, this where I'm, you know, I have my own business that keeps me busy. I travel extensively. Like uh, I love to travel. And so like, even like I went to Jordan and Israel by myself a few months ago for three weeks. Like I've been to Af like, since I got sick, I travel as much as I can. And that really helps me a lot. I'll tell you that really helps me a lot. Um, so it's just sort of refocusing on, you know, realizing that I will never be that Sandiga and I'll never be able to run. I'm never going to be that social going out because it's just not, it's not, I don't have fun like doing that anymore, going to bars and that's not my idea of fun anymore. I'm never going to be that person. So it's like, I've had to re sort of focus myself, retrain, I guess, in some way to be this new sort of person who finds joy in other ways that I didn't before. And being the owner of my own, bo uh, the boss of my own company, the owner of my own company has helped because again, I have that flexibility to sort of pick and choose clients to do what I want within, you know, working when I want to take time off. But again, you don't have those steady paychecks. So that shit's scary too, you know? So I just had to really refocus, reshift like my focus. You went to Jordan and Israel. That's, that's pretty awesome. Oh my Back God. The Holy land, huh? Fucking amazing. Have you ever been to either of those places? No. I'm no. telling you right now, it is Jordan. They both like seeing, yeah, like you said, the Holy land and then going to Jordan and seeing Petra and swimming in the, being in the Dead Sea and going into the Wadi Rum Desert. And it was like, three weeks of, I really needed it. I was, I was by myself and it was like the best spiritual sort of reset ever that I needed so bad. It was amazing. amazing. Did you get to go, did you get to go to the uh, whaling wall? I did. Oh, twice. How was that for you? I went twice. And as someone who has a disease like me, you know, the, that the, the whaling wall, the Western wall, whatever it, it's, it makes all, you know, it gives it, it's miracles all the time at that. If you believe, which I do, and so there's miracles there all the fucking time. And so uh, the first time I went, I was with a group um, because the first four days of my experience, I was I was in Israel as part of a class that I had taken. So we went as part of the group and we had a rabbi who took us there and it was on a Friday. So that's um, their Sabbath day. You know, that's their very holy day. And so there was a ton of people there and he was just telling us about all the miracles. Legit, like he had story after story after story of people at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall going there and just... So I went up to the wall and, you know, you write a note because people, mm -hmm. you're, you know, back in the day, they would bring an animal like to the wall to like sacrifice clap and here's a goat or whatever the hell it is. Now people leave notes. And I just remember going up there and like putting my hand on the wall. And it was just like, there's no way that I can even explain what went through me, the emotions. It was almost too much to bear. And um, it was so emotional. And I just remember like sitting, you, know, you can't face the wall. You're supposed to walk backwards. Like, or you can't turn your back to the wall. So you walk. And I just remember like walking out and sitting and just like, I really like felt it was just, it was an overwhelming experience. Um, yeah, I think in some ways it really did help cure some of my ailments, maybe not physical, but definitely mentally and spiritual without a doubt, without That's a doubt. Amazing. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy you had that experience. Yeah, you should go. I mean, I always say to people, like, I feel like everybody was like, oh, my God, you are a female going to the Middle East by yourself. Like, danger, danger, danger. And I was like, okay, no. I feel more like I'm more, you know, apt to have something happen in the streets of Atlanta than I am in Israel. And people don't realize that because of the media and everything. And so I say all the time, like, if you get the opportunity 
to go to Israel or Jordan, like take it. Because, and again, I've been all over the world and that there's just something very special about that part of the world. Absolutely. What is next for Cindy? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a big part of what I want to do is to continue speaking like this. I'm, I'm speaking in, on podcasts and stages around the country to, for a variety of reasons. One, because it helps me raise awareness for my disease as well as other rare diseases and chronic illnesses as a whole. It lets people like myself, we call it, we, when you have a chronic disease, we're called spoonies. Have you heard of that? No, I have um, not. So yeah, because you have a certain number of spoons to start your day out and then you like lose spoons. You know, every time you do something exhausting, you lose a spoon. Um, and so it helps other spoonies like realize that they're not alone, right? That there's other people going through the same shit that they are going through or they will go through or they've been through. Um, so I love the fact that I'm out speaking more about this. And I really hope that this continues on because it's such a win-win for me. It's like therapeutic for me, but also it helps other people who maybe even if you don't have a shitty disease, just hearing how I was at such a fucking low place in my life and somehow managed to like pull myself out of it to start this award-winning marketing agency, to be able to travel the world, to have two great kids that I'm raising, like that I think that there's something to be said about saying like the human, you can do this, right? So I love speaking. Um, and then obviously I love my agency. I want to keep my agency on, but I'm really focused on supporting in raising awareness, being sort of an advocate for rare diseases and chronic illnesses, because rare diseases, like I said, three years before they, they were telling me it was in my head. There's so much gaslighting in the medical community with, within, especially within rare diseases. In rare diseases, when you have a rare disease or chronic disease, um, it's very lonely, super lonely. And so I want people to know that they don't have to be alone. There's other people out there like them. And even if it's just like socially reach out to me on, you know, my social media outlets. And I've met so many great people who have helped me, but I've also helped them as a result. Yeah. yeah you are, you, you have a disease that almost didn't have a name. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty wild. Very long name now too. And, you know, they are starting to come up. I think they're starting to find answers to it. They found a gene that they think is related to it. So that's why I talk too, because the more you talk, the more you raise awareness, awareness, a lot of people will donate funds, funds, Go to research. Research means an answer. So, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. You you are an amazing human being. I hope you oh, know that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a vet. I mean, you've done all the shit. You've stopped drinking. So you're awesome, too. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Where can we find you, Cindy? Yeah. So I am all over social media. Um, and it's very easy. My, hash, my username for um, everything, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok is all at 716 girl in ATL. Um, 716 is the Buffalo area code. So 716 girl in ATL. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Cindy Gersh. And my website is easy, cindygersh.com. And that's also, even so you can reach me through any of those places. Um, and particularly if you're someone who really is like feeling lonely, feeling sad, feeling like there's no one and they really do need that support, like just reach out to me. Yeah. Please, because I don't want anyone ever ever feeling the way that I felt when I was sitting in that garage debating whether or not I was going to end things. It's a shitty yeah. feeling. Oh, yeah. I understand that one. I know that all too well. So, Cindy, I want to I take a moment and say thank you for being vulnerable and speaking about your, your disease and your illness that you have and, and just sharing uh, with everybody what you went through. And, and it, it's not easy to talk about, but like you said, it is therapeutic and it helps you out. 
Exactly. No, thank you, Sean. It's been fantastic. And I love what you're doing and I love how you're helping so many people as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, until next time, have a good day. Much love. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. It's a lot. Bye. <laughs>